Hello, and welcome to The Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation Turo-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Faculty Chronicles. I'm Elizabeth Uni, your host, chair, and associate professor at the Toro College of Pharmacy in New York. Our guest for the day is Dr. Moshe Miller, assistant professor of Judaic Studies at the Lander College for Women and assistant professor of Jewish History at the Lander for Men and the Graduate School of Jewish Studies. Dr. Miller received his BA in Political Science and MA in Jewish Studies from the Torah College and his PhD in Modern Jewish History from the Bernard Rebel Graduate School of Yeshiva University. Dr. Miller specializes in Jewish intellectual history, Jewish law, and the Bible. Dr. Miller is a recipient of 2020 Presidential Award for Faculty Excellence. This award is a recognition of excellence in teaching, scholarship, and service. Today, we have the opportunity to listen to Dr. Miller talking about his teaching journey and some tidbits for our listeners about being an excellent teacher. Welcome, Dr. Miller, to the Faculty Chronicles. We are so thrilled to have you with us. So tell us how long you had been at Toro as a faculty, or in other words, tell us a little bit about your teaching journey. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and having me here. Um, if I wanted to trace my teaching journey, it goes really far back. <laughs> um, it goes back to when I was a kid. I would read the copy of Encyclopedia Judaica that my parents had uh, in our house. And the reason why that appealed to me is because it provides, it has um, uh, entries, you know, uh, about rabbis, uh, you know, biographical sketches, where and when they lived, what they wrote. And as a, as a young, you know, yeshiva student, we studied a lot of religious texts and um, the texts are, are authoritative by virtue of their, their authority, but the, the, the context in which they were written is not something that's generally stressed. So I was always curious about uh, you know, who this is, where did they live, what else did they write about, what, what, what were their views on other things. So uh, the, the, the reading of the, the Encyclopedia Judaica generated a, a broader interest for me in exploring the intellectual history of Judaism. Um, I continued with you know, my yeshiva studies for, for many, many years. I uh, later on entered a rabbinical training program, which I did ultimately complete. I do have rabbinic ordination. Um, but I also, um, when it came time for college, I did um, a major in political science uh, at, at Turo. Uh, it was a, very, a great interest to me. It also opened up the possibility for, uh, you know, for a variety of things, because when you have a degree in political science, uh, it's, it, it's, it, it leaves open um, a lot of possibilities. Uh, what I ultimately decided to do was to, um, to get a doctorate in the field of Jewish history, specifically Jewish intellectual history. Um, I began by studying at Turo's own grad, graduate school of Jewish studies, 
uh, I wanted to get a doctorate, so it seemed like the best program for me, based on my interest, would be the Bernard Rebel Graduate School of Jewish Studies uh, at Yeshiva University. I was able to study a lot of really interesting things dealing with Jewish history, of course, general history, and the interaction between Judaism, the Jewish people, and the world around us. And so just after I received my master's, um, Dean Sokol, uh, the Dean of Land and College for Men, uh, you know, asked me if I would teach a Jewish history course at Land and College for Men. Having gotten my bachelor's from Land and College for Men and having gotten a, uh, a master's in Jewish studies from the graduate school, uh, he, he asked if I would teach uh, an undergraduate Jewish history course. And it was a very exciting opportunity. And I, I, I started teaching there. I, I taught there for a number of years of uh, Jewish history courses, both survey of medieval and survey of modern Jewish history. Um, and then it was several years later when I was invited by, as it was actually, a, 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 a someone who had been a student, uh, a co-student with me at the graduate school who was then teaching at Landon College for Women. Um, she asked me if I would be able to um, teach some courses at Landon College for Women uh, in, in their department of Judaic Studies, which is not, not exactly the same thing as Jewish history. You know, it's really a department of religion, but it gave me the opportunity to bring in you know, historical context into you know, religious studies classes. And so um, I, was, I was teaching at Land College for Women and Land College for Men for a number of years. Um, and later on, actually, also, I was invited to teach at the Graduate School of Jewish Studies. After I, I completed my doctorate, <clears throat> uh, I, I taught some courses at the Graduate School of Jewish Studies. Wow. Uh, I mean, I can just hear your excitement in teaching the way you talk about it. There is no question about, you know, you being awarded the uh, faculty excellence in uh, teaching. Uh, I can totally see that happening. You know, now that you received this President's Award and you said that you went to Toronto College, you started your education here, you know, your bachelor's here, your master's here, and then you come back here and start teaching. Um, and you have been with the Toronto College officially, not for so long, uh, as a faculty. And then now you receive the President's Award for teaching. It is such a great honor. But at the same time, it is also bringing up a big responsibility to you, right? So how do you think having this award is going to influence your further teaching? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is that in, in terms of having um, received this prestigious award, the first impact that it has on me is that it's kind of humbling. It's like I think myself, there are so many teachers out there. Uh, no doubt there are better teachers than, than me. And, uh, you know, but I, I, I was still chosen to receive the reward. So it, it's really quite humbling. Um, but in terms of moving forward, uh, it really serves as a sort of a calling for me because, you know, if, if, I, uh, if, I, if, 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 all, if these important committees have decided that I, I'm worthy of receiving a presidential award for faculty excellence in teaching, then I kind of have to make sure that I'm truly an excellent teacher and that I, I live up to it because this is going to be my record. They're not taking the reward away from me. So if, if I have this award, I really have to make sure that I live up to it. So it's something that's going to constantly be in my mind that not, not that I won the reward and now it's all downhill from here, but now it's all uphill. The, the reward is almost like the floor and I haven't yet reached the ceiling. The reward was the floor and now I have to keep climbing to see how, how much better I can do and, and if I can really, you know, really live up to it and uh, maybe even exceed expectations. That's great. So, Boshi, you used the word, it's a calling for you, right? So, so tell us a little bit about what is your teaching philosophy? So, my teaching philosophy, and, and this is actually, you know, this statement is found in all of my syllabi, my courses, uh, the, the sentence, no student will be left behind. No student, in the singular, will be left behind. Um, the idea here is that, 
I, I believe that, you know, a college professor needs to be more than just someone who, you know, is educated, knowledgeable in their field, a smart individual who can give an interesting lecture, uh, you know, about uh, you know, different topics. Of course, all that is true and that needs to be done. Um, but I, I think it's a lot more than that. I think that there has to be a sense of responsibility to the students, meaning just as they have responsibility to come to class and you know, pay attention and uh, you know participate and of course you know take notes and ultimately do well on exams and you know and assignments. But I think as a teacher, my responsibility is to make sure that they are really part of the process. That they're learning, that they're engaged, uh, and that uh, they they they're, they're on the same page. So if if I feel that a student for whatever reason may be falling behind, may be having some difficulty. I do reach out to them as soon as I, as I can early in the semester to see what you know what what could be done to help them, and you know thankfully you know uh, you know what I'll say is that you know students to get a, to get an A in, in in my classes is not an easy thing to do, and yet many students get it. <laughs> so I, I work with the students to make sure that they really follow and they really sort of live up to the class expectations. So in a sense, that's my primary teaching philosophy is to make sure that students are following and they're learning and they're enjoying the learning, uh, which which is more than just coming in and giving a lecture and walking out and say, I have office hours, you know, if you, if you catch me during office hours, you know, good. If not, uh, you know, see you next week. It, 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 I think it's more than that. Well, it's very interesting. Uh, no student left behind. That's, that's a very interesting teaching philosophy. When we are teaching these days, one of the things that is highly recommended is that we use a lot of activities in the class, right? You know, so it is not pure lecture anymore. So tell us, what is your most favorite teaching activity and why? So my favorite activity, I think by far, um, is class debates. Now, now class debates are not feasible in every single class. It really depends on, on the subject matter, uh, what we've learned. But whenever it's at all possible to have a class debate, I try to make sure that we do. And what, what this means is as follows. What this means is that after we've covered a particular topic in great depth, a topic for which there is a wide array of sources and a wide array of views about a particular issue. And we have in class explored all of these views. We read texts where the texts speak for themselves. We see what this source says, why the source says what it says. And then you see a contrary view. You see a view which almost maybe says the exact opposite. And, 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 and there's, there's, some un, there's some source of underlying disagreement between these two texts, why they take opposite positions. And we explain in class. Uh, uh, you know what what the what the, what the, what what each of the positions was and what the basis um, for the points of departure between them was. Once students are equipped with that uh, level of knowledge to be able to be a moderator, me as a professor, I'm the moderator um, of a class debate in which there are different teams. It could be two or three teams depending on on the subject, and have students sort of work with each other to present the point of view. Whether or not that's their own personal point of view. Is not is not relevant. It's re what's relevant is can they defend that view? Like, do they understand that view well enough to explain why 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 someone would take that view and how they might respond to a critique of that view? Wow, that's very interesting. So um, we all look at those evaluations of our teaching, right? You know how that works for us. Sometimes we get very amazing uh, evaluations and we love it, and sometimes we get some evaluations uh, we are like, you know not very happy about it. So tell me about a time when you had an evaluation that was really, you know, good and you felt so good about your teaching that you felt, you know, it also boosts our confidence in what we are doing, that we are doing something right. So tell me about a time when you got an, a feedback that made you feel pretty good. 
Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that you asked that question because I could say that thankfully, thank, thank God, um, I, my, the feedback that I've gotten in my courses has been almost uniformly um, enthusiastic. Um, uh, it's very, as you correctly said, it's very gratifying as a teacher when you read, you know, after all that work you put into the classes, when you read the feedback that students provided um, you know, to your teaching and you read it, you know, of course you don't get it till the semester is over, but the point is that you, you, you kind of see like what they were thinking during, you know, during the semester. It's very gratifying. And as, as I said, uh, you know, the, the vast majority, by which I mean not, you know, 80%, but I mean like, you know, somewhere between 98 and 99% of the, of the feedback is, is quite positive. Um, as far as individual examples, I can think of a couple off the top of my head. Um, I, I recall one student writing that the class the class changed um, changed their life, um, which is that's saying a lot for a college class to change someone's life. Um, and they said that the the material was was taught in such a way that not only were they able to follow along and understand in class, but they had recall of the material, and not just in a general sense, but they had recall of the details of what was taught in class later on. So that when they were, talk, when they were talking to their friends long after the, the semester had, well, long after, it was after the semester had ended, it was, uh, you know, the exams had already been given, they still were able to recall um, details of what we examined in class. That, that, that to me was gratifying. What it shows is that the teaching is not just the sort of the ritual of, you know, you have to get it, you know, you have to teach well so students can understand it and they can get their grade now, they get their college, you know, they get their college credits, they get their college degree and they move on but it's that you're actually learning for learning's sake, like you actually want to know the material. And that, that's generally my philosophy, which is, you know, I have that sort of, I guess you might say liberal arts philosophy of like expand the mind, like, you know, just to learn because you want to have knowledge, uh, which is something that, that, that actually something that Rabbi Hirsch talks about, the, the importance of broadening one's knowledge uh, by learning and studying, uh, exploring, mm -hmm. uh, exploring uh, different views. So uh, th that particular statement uh, was gratifying. I recall something to the fact that with other students saying um, that they, they, their only their only regret in taking my class was they only found, they only found out about me in their last semester right <laughs> before they graduated. They wish they had known about me before, and they would have taken more of my classes. I was like, wow, okay, that sounds really nice. That's that's great. That's great. So you talked about the debate that you do in the class, how much you enjoy doing that, and you know what kind of benefits that bring to the students. Are there any other activities that you do in the class that the students told you that they actually like it a lot? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the activities that I do that, that are the first time with greater frequency because debates, you know, are, are, are not held every day. It's, it's really just comparing and contrasting the variety of views on, uh, on, on a given topic. For me, it's very important for students to see what the sources say for themselves. So I, I really try to expose them to uh, not only a wide variety of sources, but even include sources that may uh, uh, not so much off the beaten track, but sources that they would be unlikely to see otherwise. There's always like, you know, again, it, it's hard for me to give examples in, in, in this particular forum, but there's always like the go-to sources. Like there are sources that everyone knows these sources exist and you, you, you're gonna wanna see what they say about this. And there are other sources that are equally great in terms of the, author, the greatness of the authors, but it, it's, 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 a road, it's a road less taken. And so I try to explore, uh, you know, expose students to all of these variety of sources. And in, in, in many cases, let them decide. Instead of saying to them, this is the more compelling view, and here's why, I would ask the students, which view do you think is more compelling? And why do you think it's more compelling? And I actually asked that in my, in my homework assignments. That's great, awesome. So Moshe, for the faculty who are listening to our podcast, what will be your take home message to be an excellent teacher? Right, so I, I, um, what I would say is as follows. Um, 
you know, students really want to be respected and validated. Students, they may be a lot younger than you, they may be uh, a lot less educated than you, uh, they don't have the degrees that you have, but they don't want the teacher to be condescending or to be intellectually dishonest. Um, so uh, it, you have to respect the, the intellect of the students. The students, you know, have the ability to come to, to their own conclusions. Their own conclusions may be different than what the teacher's personal view is, but when, it's, when the, when the, when the, um, when the student is allowed to explore the topic and reach their conclusions, for example, in an essay, uh, for a written essay or a research paper where the whole point is to develop a thesis, to develop an argument about a particular um, issue, um, the teachers really need to, to respect, in, in my view, again, the same my own view, my, my own two cents, teachers should respect the, the intellectual independence uh, of, uh, of their students um, and allow them to, uh, you know, to ensure uh, and to uh, just um, develop um, views on their own without being sort of uh, spoken down to. That, that's great. Thank you. So, Moshe, you know, when we're winding down this uh, podcast, I want to ask you one more question. I know you're a very busy person. You know, you teach, you have a young family, you have young children, you have to take care of the family responsibilities. You're also a rabbi, so you have all your religious activities. So, any advice to our listeners on work-life balance? Yeah, so that's really the million-dollar question. If, if the previous questions weren't <laughs> the million-dollar question, this one is. It, it really is. Um, yeah, so uh, you, you, you really hit the nail on the head in asking that question. It, it, is, it is difficult to balance, um, especially when a teacher um, it, it, it wants to be available for their students, wants to be able to respond to their questions, you know, whether it's by email or, or, or other, other, other forms of communication. Um, so if you always want to be sort of you know, available, accessible to the students and they, they, want, they want detailed feedback, you know, on their assignments and papers and so on, um, at the same time, you know, we, we, we have our own lives. Um, so it is very important to have the healthy balance. Uh, what I would say is that family and religious responsibilities have to come first. As important as your job as a teacher is, family is first. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a common, there's an off-sided expression in, you know, in Jewish culture, kindness begins at home. In other words, you, you know, you, it's great to be kind to everybody, but you got to be kind to your own family. So what I, what I do is I, I just try to make sure that when we have family time, uh, that that's family time. You know, I have, I have, I have, I have a setup whereby on my, on my, on my phone, it's a smartphone. The only time the phone beeps um, for an email is if it's a Truro College email. It does not beep for any personal emails. So I know if I hear that sound, I know that's an incoming Truro College email. I may be tempting to go and check the phone you know, during dinner and you know, like, whoa, who wrote to me just now? But I have to realize, no, this is, this is not time for it. So this is family time. And it's time to have family conversations uh, it's, you know, or whether you know, reading, doing, helping kids with homework, reading stories you know, to younger kids. Um, that's their time. It's, it's, I'm not at work right now. I'm at home. <laughs> it's, it's, it's family time. And same thing for, the, the, I would say, the need to get away, you know, what, with whatever means one has, one's going to be able to fly uh, around the world. But whatever kind of little getaway, little vacations you have, it's important to have them. Uh, you know, uh, a little getaway with, with one's spouse or a, a family vacation, uh, those are times especially when you really need to be off limits. So what I, what I off limits mean from work. So what I do uh, when we do go away is I set up my emails where there's an automated message that gets, you know, it basically bounces back and it says, you know, I am away with limited email access. Please reach me after so-and-so date. Which basically means that, you know, whatever question you ask me, don't expect me to answer that question now. Maybe a week or more until you'll hear an answer to the question. And by setting those boundaries 
uh, I think that it, um, it you know, it, 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 it enables the, the, the family side to, to have, to have its due, which, which ultimately is the most important thing. I mean, as far as religious responsibilities, I, there's no real conflict here because, you know, I am teaching religious subjects, um, largely. And so, uh, I obviously have to make sure to set aside time for my own religious practice. And I study, I study Torah, I study religious subjects. I'm not only studying that, which I'm teaching, but I'm studying other things as well for my own religious enrichment. That's important too, to have, have that time where I'm studying, uh, you know, I'm studying something that I need to study, not just because I need to teach it. Um, it's important to do that. Uh, and, and finally, what I would say is the need to be able to relax. Um, it could be very stressful teaching, uh, you know, large classes. Thankfully, my classes tend to be very large. Um, and you know, everything is timed, there are assignments that are due at a certain date, et cetera. Uh, you know, so it, it, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and so one needs to be able to relax. That's great. So the key words I heard from you was setting boundaries and learning to relax. That's amazing. Well, uh, thank you so much, Moshe, for talking to us. Uh, this was an absolute uh, great talk. I'm sure our listeners have learned so much from you on your teaching experience and some of the uh, strategies that you're using to engage your students and making sure that no student is left behind. I really wanted to thank um, Elizabeth for doing the interview. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a unique opportunity to, to talk about all these things. Uh, and I wanna thank everyone else on the team as well. I know that a lot of effort goes into arranging the, 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 these recordings and the, the creation of the podcast. I'm very grateful for having been given this opportunity. It's humbling, uh, but it's something that I hope the audience will benefit from. So thank you very much. Thank you, audience. Hope you enjoyed today's episode with the Faculty Chronicle. Tune in next time to hear more special stories. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.